Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out community and join a movement group. Maybe it means supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Good morning. Like Don said, my name is Sarah. I'm part of the teaching and research team here at Movement Church, and I have been away for a while, and I'm really excited to be back. So um, I'm actually going to, I want to put a picture up of where I was. Um, Tammy, can you put, yeah, that one. Um, So... I am glad to be back, although I have to say, like, Ohio doesn't look quite like this. Um, And actually, Tammy, if we can just leave this picture up um, for a while. Okay, cool. Um, So let me tell you a little bit about where I was and um, what I was doing. I had the opportunity to take a sabbatical both from church and from work. I'm a high school teacher. And um, so I missed the last few weeks of school, um, which any teacher will tell you is like the best thing that could ever happen. Um, Because every kid who was like, isn't there any extra credit that I can can do, um, I didn't hear about it. They just had to ask somebody else. So I have no idea what anyone got at the end of the year. Um, maybe they all got A's. I don't care. It doesn't matter um, because I was here instead. So um, I think it was a win-win for everybody. Uh, but basically the reason that I was, I was in Switzerland for five weeks and um, my principal actually at school encouraged me to take some time away. Those of you that I know a little bit, you are, if you've been around movement, you've heard me share some of my story. Um, the last couple of years have been pretty tough um, for me personally. Um, we've had some hard things that have happened at our school. Um, in the fall, I have shared with you, if you've been around, um, that in the fall of this past year, I was diagnosed with depression. And so it's just been kind of a been a challenging few years learning, you know, kind of how to function in my new normal, if I can call it that. And so um, my principal said, um, you know, the world will not stop turning if you leave us for a little while. And um, so I took him up on that and um, spent some time at a place called Labrie, um, which is in um, French Switzerland near Lake Geneva. Uh, Labrie is French for the shelter. And it's a place that was started by this guy named Francis Schaeffer back in the 1950s. Um, He was a theologian, author, hippie, kind of. Um, And so he and his wife had been missionaries uh, in Switzerland. And in 1955, they decided that they wanted to kind of shift the focus of what they were doing. And so um, they turned their home into what they called Labrie, the shelter. It was a place that anyone um, from anywhere could come and find a safe place to stay, to ask questions, um, to kind of wrestle through different ideas about really anything. So um, people did not have to be followers of Jesus to come here, and many of them were not. Uh, They were just people who were asking questions about what is the meaning of life. And um, for those of you who have paid attention in history class or are old enough to remember these years of history. Um, You know that like particularly in the United States, the 60s were just a really 
overwhelming time for a lot of people. Um, and so they have found that a number of American young people were just kind of hanging out in Europe, trying to get away from it all and ask questions about, you know, what are we doing on this earth? And so Francis and his wife, Edith Schaefer, um, they started this place for people to come and just kind of find a, a safe place to work through those things. And so Labrie still exists and it exists in multiple locations around the world. Um, but personally, I think that the Swiss Labrie is, I mean, yeah, the best one. And so um, you can come for kind of any length of time. They've got different uh, terms that you can show up for. And again, people can come for any reason. It's just designed to be a place where you can come and spend some time disconnected and away. So there's no Wi-Fi there, which seems like, you know, you're stepping back in time and it's really wonderful. Um, you spend part, we, I spent part of every day working uh, on the grounds around the chateau, helping to work in the garden and helping to um, cook. And they make everything from scratch. And I didn't think I knew how to make anything, but they tricked me into thinking that maybe I'm a cook. I don't know. Um, and then you spent, I spent half of each day in study. Um, and so it was a really like wonderful and refreshing time. Uh, but I have to tell you that I missed you. Um, I missed being here. I missed being connected to movement. Um, I missed getting to gather together to sing and um, to spend time worshiping our Lord together. And so I'm just really glad to be back. Um, and I'm excited that we're going to spend the summer in the Psalms. Uh, I, I spent quite a bit of time reading the Psalms while I was gone. And um, I actually intentionally tried to read the Psalms in places like this, where I had a view like this. And I'm not trying to like rub your face in it, right? Because like, okay, what do we have here? Hawking Hills, I guess. I don't know. Um, looks kind of like that if you squint. Um, but here's what I want to do. This morning, we're going to um, we're going to read Psalm 42 together, and we're going to talk about it. And so we're just going to keep this picture on the screen. And some of you have been in places like this. You've seen mountains like this. For some of you, other parts of God's creation really like stir you. You love the beach. You love the ocean. Um, you love being out in trees. I don't know. Um, like whatever that is, I want this image to kind of stir those things in you. Okay. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to read the passage. You're welcome to follow along with me if you want, or if you just want to look at this image on the screen and like, imagine that you're there, imagine that you're in a place like that while we read that's, I think that that's great. Okay. So, and we'll talk about why we're doing that in a couple of minutes. So let me pray. And then we'll read Father, I thank you. Um, I thank you that you are a God who is with us always. I thank you that you are a God who is faithful. I thank you that you don't change based on how I feel. And I thank you that you have given us the stories and writings of people who have followed you for thousands of years to help us remember that we're not the first ones who have tried to follow you and we're not the only ones who wrestle with the emotions that we wrestle with. And so this morning, God, I ask that you would make us very aware of your presence in this room. Um, we know that we don't have to invite you here, that you are here already, but um, sometimes we're not very good at recognizing you. So I ask that you would help us to recognize you today. Um, 
God, I thank you that your spirit knows each one of us as individuals. And for those of us who are followers of you, your spirit lives inside of us. And so I ask today, spirit, that you would communicate to each heart specifically, that you would help each man and woman in here to hear the truth that they need for today. Anything that's not from you, God, I ask would just fall away and that your truth, that your love, that your grace would remain with us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read Psalm 42 to you. And if you want to follow along on one of the Bibles that's near you, it's page 432. But again, I'm not offended if you're not following along. If you just want to kind of focus on um, the creation on the screen, I think that that's great. Psalm 42, I'm going to read the whole thing. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can, when can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Even from distant Mount Hermon, the, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mazar, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night, I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones, they scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. One of the things that I love so much about the Psalms and I am coming to appreciate more and more is how honest they are. The Psalmists do not dress up how they're feeling. So you can read one Psalm that says like, God's the best and he is so with me and I am victorious because of him and everything I look at reminds me of him. And then you can read the next Psalm that says like, uh, I think God has totally forgotten that I exist and I'm pretty depressed and my enemies are going to destroy me. And what I love about that is it's real. Because any of us who have known Jesus for longer than 10 minutes can say that we have gone through those same roller coaster of emotions from one day to the next, sometimes from one hour to the next. We wake up feeling great. We wake up thinking like, yes, today is the day that the Lord has made and I feel so good about that and I'm gonna give Jesus all of myself today and I'm gonna honor him with my words and with my choices. I'm gonna love my spouse and my children. I'm gonna be such an example at work. And then you like get out of bed and you stub your toe on the way to the bathroom and it's like over, right? You're like, seriously, why would the Lord let that happen to me? 
and immediately everything changes. And I think, look, okay, so I work with 16-year-olds, and um, it can be so easy for me as an adult to look at them and to think like, oh, teenagers, they're so emotional, which is, okay, true. No offense, teenagers in the room. But if we're being honest, adults, we are just as emotional as teenagers are. Most of us have gotten better at disguising it, but we are just as driven by our emotions many times as young people are. And we see this really clearly in our faith. I was thinking it even as we were singing the second song that we sang this morning. Singing words like, like even when it's hard, even when it's dark, like I will still praise you. Even when I'm in the lowest valley, I will still praise you. And it's so easy to sing those words when we're all together in this room or when we're feeling good. And we think like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always gonna remember what this feels like. I'm always gonna praise God, even when I get to the lowest valley. But then when we're in the lowest valley, okay, I'll speak for myself. When I'm in the lowest valley, I'm like, I'm not doing that. No, I can't praise you. Praise who? You're not even around. Are you even listening to me? Because if you were around and you were listening to me, I wouldn't feel this way right now. Our emotions drive so much of the way that we make our decisions. And I have to tell you, as a 34-year-old, like sometimes I feel embarrassed about that. Like I should be growing up a little bit. And again, this is why I think the Psalms are so beautiful. Because what we find in the Psalms are that we're in good company. We are in good company. When you feel like God is far away, you're not the first one who's felt that way. But we also find wise counsel in the Psalms. We're going to work our way through Psalm 42. There's kind of three big things that are happening here. We're going to start with the first four verses. Let me read them to you again. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Now, those first couple of verses, we go like, this is so beautiful. The psalmist is saying like, he desires God. He wants God. I grew up in a church. We used to sing this hymn that was based on these verses as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longeth after you. And I always hated it. I just hated it so much because like the image that that brings to your mind is like, is like, do deer even pant? I have no idea, you know? And so I'm like imagining this deer like staggering through the desert, you know, like, like on his like knees. I don't know. Can deers do that? I don't know how their legs bend. Um, but like so thirsty, you know? And like, that's not, that's how I feel, you know? Like it's kind of depressing that that's how the deer feels. And then you get to verse three and it says, day and night, I have only tears for food. While my enemies continually taunt me saying, where is this God of yours? The psalmist is thirsty. And what he's saying is, I'm thirsty for God and I'm not finding him. I want him, but I don't know how to get to him. And then verse four resonates with me. In fact, when I got to Labrie, this is one of the first things that I said to, I, I met with one of the people who worked there and he just said, you know, like, why are you here? What questions do you have? How can we help you? 
And I said something almost identical to what's written in verse four. In verse four, the psalmist says, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. The psalmist is saying, I used to experience God more closely than I'm experiencing now. I used to feel him and now I don't. It used to be easy to let worship just flow out of me. In fact, it happened so easily that I was the leader. I was the leader in bringing other people to worship God. And I miss it. I used to know him like that. It used to be like he was right there with me. I used to wake up and think I can't wait to spend time with God. And now where did he go? I'm thirsty and I can't find him. As I shared this with um, the, the worker at Labrie, he said, I think that you should read this book. It's called Reaching for the Invisible God by Philip Yancey. I would highly recommend it. And um, I, I had this experience as I was reading the book, like I opened it up and read the first page of the introduction and I was like, is, does Philip Yancey read my mind? Because he was like saying the exact things that I had said out loud. It was kind of creepy. Um, but I, I found so much wisdom written in this book. And I wanna share with you some of the things that I read that remind me of these first few verses. Thomas Merton is quoted in this book. Thomas Merton was kind of like a modern day monk um, who lived in the United States. And he said, if you find God with great ease, Perhaps it's not God that you have found. And I read that and I thought, well, that makes me feel super good. Um, and then he goes on to quote Emily Dickinson, a great American poet from the 19th century. We both believe and disbelieve a hundred times an hour. And this keeps our believing nimble. I thought, great. And then lastly, Flann Flannery O'Connor, who is an author from the early 20th century. When we get our spiritual house in order, will be dead. Hmm. This goes on. You arrive at enough certainty to be able to make your way, but it's making your way kind of in the darkness. Don't expect faith to clear everything up for you. It's trust, not certainty. Now, maybe you hear those things and you go like, this is not making me feel better, Sarah. But for me, I read these words and I thought, these are, maybe those names don't mean anything to you, Flannery O'Connor and Emily Dickinson and Thomas Merton, but these are people that I would say, I respect the way that they have known Jesus. I respect the way that they have walked with God. And to hear them say things that were similar to the way that I was feeling gave me at least enough peace to say, maybe, maybe I'm not the only one who wrestles with this. And then I come to Psalm 42 and I see like, okay, even these people who knew God, who walked with God, whose words get recorded in God's word for us, they felt the same way. So what do we do? Some of you are maybe in this place right now where you say like, it used to be better. I used to know God better. I used to want him more. And now I'm thirsty and I can't find him. What do we do? I'm gonna start in verse five. Why am I discouraged? 
Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. We have to make a choice. And listen, I'm telling you, I know what it feels like to be in the deepest, darkest valley. And I know that these words feel like they're impossible to say, like, even when you're not feeling it, you have to choose God. Because I know, because I've been sitting in that chair and heard those words and gone, like, you don't know what it feels like. That's not possible for me. Okay, then can I say this to you? Then please don't stop coming and joining us here on Sunday mornings. When it's hard for you to choose to remember God, let us be the ones who remember for you. Let us be the ones who speak the truth of who he is over you. When you can't choose for yourself, that's what this family is for. And so the psalmist says, I am discouraged right now, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try to remember who you are. I'm going to try to remember what you have done. I'm going to try to remember your faithfulness to me. And verse seven, um, I'm going to read it to you from a different translation, okay, which is a little bit closer to what the original Hebrew said. Verse seven and verse eight say this, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. This image of waterfalls, I think is really powerful. And I'm gonna show you a waterfall that I had the chance to see while I was away. This waterfall, um, the water comes from the runoff of those mountains that you were just looking at. So these are from a similar place in Switzerland. And the water kind of like comes off the top of the mountain and it just kind of like sprays all over the place. And so it's like constantly, there's like rainbows shooting through it, right? I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. And so I hiked past this waterfall several times. And one day I just, I sat, I just sat and I watched it. And while I was watching it, it hit me that a waterfall never turns off. Okay, now maybe you're thinking like, you've been paying really good job and like, Good attention in science class, Sarah. Like, yes, obviously a waterfall doesn't turn off. Okay. But there was something about like the noise that that waterfall was making as, as it was falling. And I thought like, if you lived here, that noise would just be like constant in your ear. And maybe you would go like, you know, kind of, we, we tune those things out after a while. But I had been reading in the Psalms earlier that day about how faithful our God is. And I'm watching this waterfall and I'm thinking, this waterfall is a picture of God's faithfulness. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of like, I'm absorbing that. I'm just like, just letting it fall. And I'm just, I'm letting myself focus on that. And then this thought enters my mind, which had to have been from the spirit of God. As I'm watching this waterfall fall to the earth, I'm thinking, but the water that comes off of that thing is always new. Like it's never the same water that's falling. 
Now, okay, I understand the water cycle, so maybe eventually it's the same water that's falling, okay, but just stay with me, right? Like, it's always new water. The waterfall never changes. Like, the waterfall is always the same. It's always the same waterfall that's coming down off of this mountain in the little village of Lauterbrunnen, but it's always new water. And the Spirit just started to, like, like bring this thought to my mind Like your God is so faithful, but what he has to offer you every day is new. I mean, like scripture tells us every day, his mercy for me is new. His mercy never runs out. So the the mercy that washed off of that waterfall over me today, there's new mercy available to me tomorrow and new mercy available to me the next day, and new mercy available to me the day after that, and God's grace is the same way, and his love is the same way. He's constantly faithful, but he is always new. And so I read this verse in Psalm 42, seven, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me, and I can't help but think about this waterfall and think God's faithfulness and the newness of what he has to offer me just keeps washing over me. Now, when I'm in the deepest, darkest valley, that doesn't feel true. But I have to tell myself that it is. Because listen, we've said this here before, your feelings are not facts. Your feelings do not always tell you the truth. And if you can't believe it today, then let me be the one who speaks it over you. God's faithfulness is always available to you. And his love and his mercy and his grace are new every single day. Whether you feel it today or you don't, it is the truth of who he is. And what I love about verse eight is that this image then seems to draw the psalmist into recognizing some things about the Lord. And these things are all based in the Lord's action toward us. The Lord directs his love. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. The psalmist isn't the one who is making his way to God. The psalmist isn't trying to climb up this waterfall. The psalmist isn't trying to get to the top of the mountain. The psalmist says, by day, the Lord directs his love to me. And at night, his song is with me. The Lord is the one who comes after your heart. He is not waiting for you to strive and work and find your way toward him. He's not. He has reached to you. This is what makes our faith in Jesus so beautiful. There is no other faith in the world, no other religion in the world that says that our God has come down to us. This is, this is what makes Jesus so beautiful. So we're thirsty and we have to start to remind ourselves of the truth. But I love the honesty of where this Psalm ends. In verse nine, the psalmist says, oh God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And we see that the psalmist is living in tension. 
that the psalmist has reminded himself of what is true. God is my rock who has forgotten me. Beginning to remind himself of the truth in verses seven and eight doesn't immediately make everything better. And I think that some of us have bought into the lie that faith in Jesus makes my life better and easy immediately. And if that doesn't happen, then I must be doing it wrong or maybe Jesus just doesn't work for me. This is not the truth about our faith. I have to remind myself of the truth and then I have to recognize that it may take time to be able to experience that truth as a reality in my life again. I want to read to you um, from another couple of theologians. Stanley Hauerwas, who's a theologian, an American theologian, says, the life of faith consists of patience and hope. Most of us don't like that. Patience is the patience is formed by a long memory, reminding ourselves of who God is and what God has done and the fact that he does not change. Patience formed by a long memory and hope that our faithfulness will prove worth the risk. Philippians, he says, the remembering of God, which we sing in the Psalms, that's what we're looking at right here, is simply the rediscovery that God remembers us. That's what you see in verse eight, that the Lord directs his love to us, that the Lord fills our heart with song toward him. And so therefore, Yancey says, we remember God best by believing that we matter personally and infinitely to him. Some of us do not believe that that is true. We believe that God has given up on us. We believe that God is only putting up with us because he has to, because he stuck with us, because we prayed some prayer when we were a child and now we're in his family and he, you know, he looks at us like the annoying little nephew, but he has to deal with us anyway. You matter personally and infinitely to the God of the universe. And when we're in the deepest, darkest valley, it doesn't feel that way. Because when we're in the deepest, darkest valley, it doesn't feel like we matter at all. You maybe have found yourself in that valley because of something that's happening relationally or something that's happening vocationally or something that's just happening inside of you and you can't put words to it. Whatever it is that has put you in that place, we say, it, I don't matter. I don't know that I matter to anybody. I don't matter to these people that I see. I don't matter to my family. I don't matter to my children. I don't matter to my job. And I certainly, I mean, I don't matter to the Lord. We have to fight that thought by remembering who our God is and by remembering that part of who our God is is that he is a God who is crazy about us. So that's, that's what the psalmist is doing. God, you're my rock, but I feel like you've forgotten me. I will move on to verse 10. Uh, verse 11. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. A Christian author and professor Kevin Hughes says this, hope 
is the longing for the deeper reality of a love that is beyond all loves, for the beauty that lies beneath, before, behind, above, and within these verses, for the time when God will be all in all. The word hope in its essence, which is what the psalmist is saying, I am discouraged, I'm downcast, I'm sad, so what am I going to do? I'm going to choose to hope. Hope doesn't immediately make everything better. But hope is focusing on the fact that someday God will make all of this right. And it's not a pie in the sky kind of dream. It's not saying like, well, you know, we don't need to feel sad about things because like someday Jesus, woo. The psalmist isn't glossing over how he feels. He's honest about how he feels. But he also acknowledges that how he feels is not the end of the story. That there is hope. I read a a book by N.T. Wright, uh, one of kind of the foremost New Testament theologians of our day. And he wrote all about the Psalms. And he says, we must read the Psalms through the lens of Jesus. As 21st century Christian people, we must read the Psalms through the lens of Jesus. Because he's the end of the story. And so we read this Psalm about this man who is saying like, I'm so thirsty for God and I'm I'm frustrated and I'm discouraged and I can't find him and I'm gonna choose to hope in him and believe that someday it will be better. And I am reminded that in John chapter four, Jesus, as he's living his physical life here on earth, walks into this little village in in an area called Samaria and he encounters this woman standing by a well. And as he, as this woman, begin to talk about water and about drawing water out of this well, Jesus looks at her and he said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water. And she says, like, you don't even have a bucket. Like, I don't know if you know how wells work, but. And Jesus says, I have water that you know nothing about. It's alive and the people who drink from this water will never be thirsty again. And the woman goes, what? Well, give me that right now. I hate coming to this well. And she and Jesus begin this conversation where Jesus begins to unveil himself to her, showing her who he really is. He is the hope of, and the Messiah that these people have been waiting for. Now, again, we read that and we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Sarah, listen, I follow Jesus and I'm telling you, there are still days where I wake up and I feel way more like the psalmist in chapter 42 than I do like a woman who has drunk from the well and is never thirsty again. Yeah, I know, me too. Because we live in a world that is still broken. We live in a world that has been damaged by sin, that has been damaged by death. I believe in Jesus, but depression is still a reality in my life. But I will put my hope in God. That this Jesus that I trust in, that he has started to quench my thirst. And a day is coming when because of Jesus, I will never be thirsty again. And men and women, there is nothing else in this world that can promise you that. 
A day is coming when I will never hurt again. A day is coming when I will never fall into a depression again. A day is coming when there will never be death in my life again. I am thirsty for God. And Jesus has started to satisfy that that thirst. And even when I find myself in the deepest, darkest valley, I will put my hope in God. Like Psalm 42, 11 says, I will praise him again, my God and my savior, because I believe a day is coming when I will experience the love and the beauty that is bigger than all other love and beauty. And I can only have that hope because of Jesus. So what do we do this morning? I want to encourage you that if you are thirsty, If you find yourself looking around saying like, I used to know God better than I do. I used to want him more than I do. I used to experience him more than I do right now. You are not alone. But our reaction to that can't just be to like, you know, I'm just going to sit here and like, fingers crossed, something gets better. You do not have to strive for God, but you must remind yourself of who he is. Remind yourself of the truth. Don't don't let yourself wallow in that deep, dark valley. And if you cannot remind yourself of the truth of him, then surround yourself by other people who will. Surround yourself by other people who will continue to remind you of who your God is. And then don't be discouraged and give up the fight. Because we will live in the tension We will live in the tension of, I don't quite feel it, but I have to believe that it's true. This is what hope is. Hope is setting our eyes on where we're going, setting our eyes on who we are following and believing that if Jesus was powerful enough to defeat death and the grave when he lived on this earth, then he is powerful enough to defeat whatever brokenness exists in my life. The day is coming when my hope will become reality. But for now, we live in the tension. We live in the tension and we, en- we encourage each other with the hope that we experience. I would encourage you to stay with us in the Psalms. I read recently that Billy Graham used to read five Psalms a day, which allowed him to get through the whole book of Psalms every month. Five Psalms a day is not that much. And here's what I think you'll find as you read five Psalms a day. You will be reminded of who our God is and how he loves us. Five Psalms a day. Start today. Remember who your God is. Even when you're in the deepest, darkest valley, remember who your God is. Father, I thank you that you do not change that like the waterfalls that we see, like the waterfall that the psalmist wrote about, you are faithful. And yet even in that faithfulness, you don't grow stale and you don't, you don't get old, that you have something new to offer us every day, that your mercy is new to me every day, that your love is new to me every day. And that, Father, when Jesus said that he could quench our thirst and quench it permanently, that that is a promise that we can hold on to. 
And so I ask today for those in this room, and I am certain that there are some who are in what feels like the deepest, darkest valley, that you would fill them with the truth of who you are. That even though they can't feel it right now, that they would be willing to believe it in their minds, that they would be willing to say, I will choose to believe that my God is a God who will quench my thirst, that my God is a God who does love me, that my God is a God who is giving me hope and that I can trust him even when I don't feel like I can trust him. Father, I ask that you would prove yourself faithful to us because I know that you can and I know that you will. God, I thank you that you've given us a family here and that when we're in a deep, dark spot, you have given us each other to help carry the load. That when I can't believe for myself, I am surrounded by people who will help me believe until I can see you more clearly again. Make us men and women who do that for each other. We love you. Thank you for what you're doing here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encouraged you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.